Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels as we dive into Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, along with a little bit of a wrap-up of Season 2, which we really ended on a bang with Twilight of the Apprentice. All that and more with myself, Riki, and Sarah Hayashi. After this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Folks, we've wrapped up season two. We're on to the next season. How are we feeling? It's good. To be, we haven't had a chance to kind of talk Rebels in a little while, so it's good to be back. Yeah. Everybody's got new haircuts. It's great. <laughs> How do you follow up the best season finale ever? Well, how about the best season opener ever? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, let's start by just kind of doing a general wrap-up of season two. We, we talked about Twilight of the Apprentice, the way it ends, and why we all love that. What are kind of your overall thoughts on the season, though? Because I feel like it, it, much more so than Clone Wars, where we talked about things being really out of order, it feels to me like each of the individual seasons of Rebels kind of has a story. What do you all think of season two overall? Well, we got a lot of the Jedi stuff. Right, with right. Kanan and Ezra and a little bit of Ahsoka and them advancing their mentorship relationship and then going to the Jedi Temple and learning some stuff and then going to the Sith Temple and learning some stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I felt like we got a little bit less of some of the other characters. We got a great Zeb story with Agent Callus. Thank you. But we didn't get much from Sabine. And yeah. and that was a little disappointing. We got a little bit of her on with um is it Previsla? No. One of the one of the, the blonde fellows of Mandalore. Um, yeah, they, they had to make a peace deal with the people of Mandalore, which and so that there was some good stuff with Sabine in like one or two episodes. Also some stuff with her and Hera. But yeah, I think she she was a little bit in the background this season. And I think I'm looking forward to if I if I remember, she she kind of comes back into her own sum in this third season. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, not enough I, chopper. I mean, no. there's never enough chopper. <laughs> but no, I agree. I, it was definitely very Jedi Jedi forward mm-hmm. this season, but Yeah. I don't think to the detriment of the show by any means. It definitely felt to me like also this is the this was the season where, you know, season 1 was about kind of establishing what's the world like at this time. Season two, it felt like now I feel like we're kind of now on the on ramp towards the original movies. You know, the Empire's control is tightening and you're starting to see, you know, different power grids within the Empire emerging and conflicting with each other. These little bands of rebel groups are starting to form together into the Alliance and we're starting to wrestle with like, are we individual groups or are we the Alliance? We, we kind of got, not resolution necessarily, but like the, the Inquisitor plot kind of had to be kicked into a higher gear. It really feels like there's a lot of things that we're building uh, over the course of that season. Yeah, Phoenix Squadron has an official base now, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, Matthew, we got the beginnings of the Rebellion coming together. We saw Ahsoka's relationship with Bale, mm. and then we saw yep. Princess Leia show up as yeah. a character in season two. Really great. So very much those hints of like what happened since the Empire formed, what have these people been doing, and now mm-hmm. ramping up towards that New Hope showdown. Definitely, definitely. 
So let's kind of put the pin now in season two, and I want to turn to season three, but I do want to say a quick word first, because I told you about commercials we had no control over. This is a quick commercial that I do have some control over. Uh, I love making these podcasts for you all. It does take some money. It does take a lot of time and, you know, paying for the all the different facilities and stuff like that. And so we're looking for new ways to help fund it. And I was approached by the uh, good folks at Manscaped and asked to do some paid sponsorship for them, which I was happy to do. They shipped me some, some of their product. I wanted to give it a try, of course, before I could tell you if it was a good product or not, in part because I'm going to admit the uh, name is not something I'm in love with. I myself am not a man and yet have the um, biological properties that the Manscaped technology is meant to help with. Would love to see the, you know, a little bit of broadening of the name there. But it is a product that I'm pretty happy to stand behind because what they do is pretty amazing. I have not been a person who uh, engaged in the manscaping art quite often. The few times I attempted to buy products, they were not the happiest on my skin. This one's completely different. So support for this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-waist grooming for those with Audis uh, below the waist instead of innies. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They recently launched the ultimate hygiene product, uh, the Performance Package. It's like a $250 pro- uh, package in terms of all the different things it has. You can get it for a much lower price on their website, manscaped.com. And most importantly, if you use the discount code, of SWUP, our initials, Star Wars Universe Podcast, SWUP, you'll get an additional 20% off. Check out their website. They've got a lot of great products. Talk to you about them a little bit more over the next couple of weeks. But there's a lot, you know, both the kind of actual trimmers to there's a nose and ear hair trimmer that I've not yet used, but Paul says he's actually breathing better now that he used it on his nose hairs. They're supporting the podcast and the boxer shorts they uh, make offer the best support of myself that I've ever had, which I'm quite happy with. So yeah, definitely check out the products. I don't know what to ask you two to participate in the conversation. If you got any thoughts on this topic, go right ahead. <laughs> you got our interest when you said nose hair trimmer. Because okay. I was okay. I'm not interested in the below half stuff. But when you said nose hair trimmer, we both perked up at the same time because I unfortunately have a lot of nose hair. And okay. uh, don't don't take care of it enough. See, Sarah's nodding and shaking <laughs> her head and all, all the things I've in agreement. After, I've gone after his nose hair with tweezers, which he didn't uh-huh. like. Uh, so nose hair trimmer seems right up our alley. So now I may have to take a look at that product and come back to you uh, with a recommendation. You definitely should. Definitely should. You get 20% off by using the code and uh, would love to get to hear your thoughts on it. I know Paul has very sensitive skin. I, I talked about some of my own previous attempts to uh trim the hedges the the products i have to say they really commit to the bit everything is it's the lawnmower it's the hedge (laughs) trimmer it's the crop duster is the uh, deodorant made specifically for that part of your body never thought this would be a thing i would use but actually works really well check out the the ear and nose product it's a great product and for everybody listening if you're interested check out the website manscaped.com if you find anything there that catches your fancy swup is the discount code so with that, let's return ourselves to a universe that makes a lot more sense than one in which we're hawking grooming products and talking about Star Wars Universe, specifically Rebels Season 3. Because we get one heck of a doozy of, of an episode. Ricky, you said we just had the best season finale, and you think this is one of the best season openers? Well, now that we're talking about what's actually in the show, in mm-hmm. the past, we geeked out about this character. This is the Star Wars introduction canon introduction of grand admiral thrawn thrawn is here and thrawn is sticking around yeah he was mentioned in the not ahsoka show but in the mandalorian when ahsoka showed up 
She right. was looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. And if you were wondering all about that, this is where we start to get the pieces of that puzzle, how Thrawn and Ahsoka will relate to each other. Yeah. Thrawn is a character who's appeared originally in books. First, he was in the Legends canon, and then now more recently, he's been in the actual canon novels. Myself and Rob McKenzie have now recorded a couple of episodes about that as part of the Star Wars Book Club, which you find on our podcast. But yeah, getting Thrawn into this episode. Let's talk about how we felt, but let's first just do kind of a, a quick summary of the episodes. When do you want to read the episode summary? And this is a, it's a two-part arc, so we're just discussing it as one story. Six months after the events of the previous season, Ezra leads a mission to rescue Hondo Onaka from the Imperial Prison, wielding a new lightsaber and displaying four skills that he's learned from the Sith holocron in the process. Hondo's intel regards a squadron of Y-Wings due to be destroyed in an Imperial shipyard that the Rebels set out to appropriate, with Ezra being given command of the mission. Kanan, meanwhile, is struggling with his blindness when he discovers Ezra's use of the holocron and confiscates it, before being summoned out into the Adalon wilds by a mysterious call that proves to be from the Bendu, an ancient force user who is neither Jedi nor Sith. Meanwhile, Governor Price decides that the growing rebellion threat requires greater response and requisitions the Seventh Fleet, which is revealed to be under the leadership of recently promoted Grand Admiral Thrawn. The Bendu helps Kanan to realize that the Force grants him abilities that can make up for his lost sight, and on sensing Ezra's peril on the mission, Kanan leaves to go help him, leaving the Holocron with the Bendu. The Rebels manage to secure a handful of fighters, but lose the Phantom after Ezra sets the shipyard plummeting, and it is only the timely arrival of the Ghost and the other Rebel ships that saves them after Thrawn determines that they are not dealing with an entire Rebel fleet and orders his forces to allow their escape. Ezra is suspended, but expresses his gratitude to Kanan for rejoining the action, while the Rebels learn that the Y-Wings are to be delivered to General Dondana's unit. Yeah. So there's a whole lot that goes into this episode. It's funny, because when you started talking about Thrawn, I was like, yeah, that that's one of the great parts of this. But honestly, there's like so many great plot lines that are really starting to develop. But let's start with our big boy in blue, the non-big blue Boy Scout. How'd you feel about seeing Thrawn on screen for the first time ever? Well, this is our second watch of the show. So obviously we knew it was coming. But the first time I was very excited. And I think Sarah didn't really know who he was. No idea. I was like... Who is this guy? I was like, like I chatterboxed about all of the books because Grand Admiral Thrawn is probably the best, you know, extended universe, as we now call it, Legends character of all time. Mara Jade is, to me, a close second. But Thrawn was just as a Star Wars fan when I read the, the novels for the first time, I was really excited. Yeah, he is one of my absolute favorite characters, and it's interesting. This is something we're going to do more in the the episode we did about the books, where if the Thrawn of the shows and the Thrawn of the books don't exactly line up, especially in the newest book, Timothy Zahn, the person who writes him, some of the newer books feel kind of like the dungeon master who's fallen in love with his own NPC and now wants to tell you a story about the NPC, because just... Thrawn has kind of um, gone from being a villain to an anti-hero to, like, really nothing he ever does is wrong. And so having him reintroduced in this, where one of the first things we learn about him is that he just won this battle where Agent Callus said, if I understand, the civilian deaths outnumbered the number of insurgents you killed. And Thrawn's like, well, you know, 
rebels gonna rebel, empire's gonna empire. Uh, it was like, oh yeah, okay, no, this this is a this is this is the villain Thrawn we're getting, but it's such a compelling character. And I think the fact that he's played by Lars Lars Mikkelsen helps with that as well, because like. I don't know, depending on your fandoms, you might remember him as, um, he was like a villain in season four of Sherlock. That's how I mm-hmm. knew him best. And I think he's got that like cold calculating, yep. I don't know, baddiness. Yeah. He, he was also on the television show House of Cards playing yep. not Putin. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. be- I believe the character's name was Petrov yeah. and he was the Russian yes. president. It was like very much not, not Putin. Putin. Yeah, and he comes from quite an acting family. If you recognize the last name Mickelson, it's because there's a number of people in his family who've been fantastic actors. And yeah, his his it's funny because he's European. He's not Southern, but he speaks in a, a manner of speaking that I can best describe as a drawl. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like, there is never he he is going to be very particular with his words. He's never in a rush, and it just it's such a different kind of villain, especially after a Vader or someone like that, where it's all anger and rage. This person is, you know, if you think about the Robert Frost poem, Darth Vader will destroy the world in fire. Thrawn is 100% going to destroy the world in ice. It is cool. It is confident. He speaks like the person who just has no reason to doubt himself. And it's, it, it makes him even more scary in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially at the end when he and Price are talking and she says like, oh, they brought their whole fleet. And it's like, that's not their whole fleet. I knew this the whole time. I have just gained this mm-hmm. little piece of information. Let, me, let my prey go, and we'll we'll come back for the bigger prize. Yeah, he's very like cold, calculating, like an evil Sherlock Holmes kind of. Yeah, I think I think it's good to put it. Or, or Dr. Moriarty in many ways. Yeah, sure. Who I guess is just evil Sherlock Holmes? There was already one. Yeah. And Matthew, you mentioned the Mickelson family. His brother Mads Mickelson was the actor who portrayed Galen Erso in Rogue right. One. So fantastic Star Wars connection there, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there's right now clear it's not a hundred percent, but it seems very clear we're going to get Thrawn in live action. And we've had previous discussions about voice actors becoming live action actors and how generally that's something that we should be doing, but that sometimes it doesn't work for sometimes because the studio just was doesn't want to, which is not great. But sometimes because, you know, voice actors are like, I don't want to be on camera i'm happy you know i just want to do with voice acting or they're just not as good on camera this is an actor who has quite a lot of on-screen experience so it's not known by any means maybe he's busy maybe he's moved on with his career but i think there's a chance we're going to get him as the live action thrawn which would just be phenomenal and he looks the part too like the the thrawn that has been portrayed in comic books and now in this in this show Mm -hmm. obviously you know you have to somehow make him blue and give him right. bright red eyes, but his facial features and all, and all of that, I think, are a very good match for the Thrawn that we have come to know. Yeah, and I like it a lot, especially because I do kind of feel like you know we we're talking about how the last season was mostly Jedi. It was also most of our antagonists were Force users. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the Inquisitors. It was Vader at the very end, and I don't really know how you could top that without it just being a lot more Vader and. Given everything of where Vader has to go in a couple of years, I don't think you can have Vader on screen that often. So honestly, being like, okay, that's great. We had a lot of Force users. Now we're going to switch over to this other faction within the Empire of Tarkin and Thrawn and these like military political types. 
I, I really like that. I like that as a new direction of the show. Totally, because ultimately, like, this is what the rebels are rebelling against. It's not really Vader, right? It is right. the Empire. Yeah, most of them have no idea of that Vader, let alone about the Force, or because, you know, as Star Wars has told us, it is now an ancient religion yes. that no one remembers from 18 years ago. Well, I um, think if, if, I'm assuming there's been, like, a disinformation campaign, right? To get the whole, oh, yeah. like, oh, Jedi? No, they were, that was some wacky people who said they had magic powers. Not a real thing. If you mm -hmm. talk about it, we will murder you. That part that kind of like it's sort of like, you know, a thought police kind of situation, you know, where like no one remembers because no one will ever admit to remembering. Mm -hmm. Could make a lot of sense. Yeah. And in some sense, I think the Empire is a victim of its own disinformation when they come up against Jedi who have survived because right. they I think they continually underestimate the, the opponents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But here is a character who is never going to underestimate anyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he is prepared, he's he's knowledgeable, and it's, yeah, it, it, it already just sets the tone for a great season. It's funny, though, because I, I knew Thrawn was coming back. I totally forgot that he comes back in, this, in these episodes, because to me, my defining memory is we get Ezra flirting with the dark side, and it's not portrayed in the stark black and white good and evil terms that it normally is. Okay, I've I've been on record here as saying, I think we've all talked about this to some extent, that I, I really like when we get past the idea of just light side good, dark side bad, and start playing with like, you know, what's the middle ground? What's the and so first of all, we get a character, the a literal, very powerful force user who's neither light side or dark, is somewhere in the middle in the Bendu. But also having like it's not a Ezra is going wild and he's becoming Darth Ezra and he's killing everyone. He's just, he's a little more aggressive. He's a little more hubristic. And when it comes time to fight, he's able to draw on some powers that are, like, this is what I think is so brilliant. Because it's not a clear, oh my god, he used overwhelming force. He did something horrible and torturous that he shouldn't have done. What he does is he mind controls an enemy soldier and gets that soldier to use his you know, robot machine, the the walker, to shoot the other enemies, and then basically makes that soldier commit suicide by by pushing, making him take the walker over the cliff. It's clearly pretty dark. It's clearly the kind of thing that a Jedi is not supposed to do. The way the scene is shot, I don't think our heroes live if he doesn't do it. And so, so I'm gonna curious what would you what was your take on it? Because I, I I was watching it going like. A, I'm not positive this is dark side, but I think it is, which is what I liked. But also, it just, it felt very morally gray in a way that I really liked. It wasn't just like, you're dark side, you're you're evil now forever. Oh, I I thought it was real dark. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, th so this is an extension of the force power of suggestion, right? These aren't the right. droids you're looking for. But he takes control, you said, he takes control of the, the pilot and right. literally, like, as he does the hand motions, those are the motions that the pilot does to, to shoot the blasters. As Ezra walks forward, that's the motion, you know, that the mm -hmm. walker takes to walk forward off of the, the platform. So it is far beyond, like, the, the power of suggestion. And it is, like, very much just mind control, like, suppressing that person's mm -hmm. free will. So I, I thought it was completely dark side and there was no no gray to it at all yeah like if this were anakin i think we'd have like the the little dun, 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 mm -hmm. dun, 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 in the background of this scene um and also like ezra's just kind of 
being a jerk in the episode like as being well, a teenager which isn't helping yeah like a teenager on a power trip right because he's just got promoted Kanan, it seems, has stopped going on missions, so Ezra is, like, the de facto boss now. Like, Zab mm-hmm. even calls him boss, and Sabine's like, he's gonna go to his head, don't do that. Which it 100% does. You're completely oh, right on that. yeah, like, instantaneously, right? And he's, like, even making these maybe outlandish orders, right? Like, to go and... They're just supposed to go to this garbage station, basically, and just do mm-hmm. some recon. But when Ezra sees that the Wildings are, like, being actively destroyed... Like, no, no, we're going to go and we're going to get them right now. Rex warns him this isn't the mission. But he's like, we're doing right. it. We're doing mm-hmm. it my way. I'm the boss now. When they go, they get Hondo, who I love and we need to talk about more. And it's sad that we haven't talked about him enough yet. And he's also got like a little, I think, Ungnot. Is that how you pronounce them? Ungnot. The Ungnot, the little yeah. like pigman friend named Turba. Uh-huh. Um, and I think what you were alluding to earlier, Matthew, with like, Ezra needs to mind control this walker is like turbo ran out front and like was killed right by the empire in that moment so i think like it's not some like hypothetical threat right like this is a very real threat but still yeah like mind controlling someone to like commit suicide seems a little a little lot dark until that last line professor x would say this is completely the the act of a hero I fundamentally disagree with Professor X, but sure. yeah, like, I, I guess to me, here, here's the thing, because I, I do agree with you. I think it's very dark. I just don't, you know, the way that the dark side was taught to us in, you know, the original movies, you know, once you start down that dark path, forever shall it dominate your destiny. Mm. And and this idea of, like, hate leads to suffering and you're just becoming, like, a Darth Vader. For me, I look at that scene and I think, yes, it's dark. I also think, like, it's not like the the goal was to sneak by these soldiers and let them live. There's no way the story ends with those soldiers living if if our heroes escape. I mean, maybe, possibly, but, like, they're going to try and kill them either way. I'm not saying I think, like, you know, the mind control is fine. I'm just sort of, I'm, to me, it raises the question of, like, if you are in a battle to the death... Does it make sense to have this idea of, like, it's okay to shoot these people, it's okay to use this kind of power to kill them and save your own lives, but it's not, but but doing this other thing is completely not okay. I don't love mind control by any means, I'm not saying it's good, I just, I guess that's where I find the grayness of it, because it's, it, it is in the midst of this battle, and frankly, the way it was set up, at least, I, I, I think we're supposed to believe that if he didn't do that, they would be in real trouble. Like, it was definitely a push to the extreme, maybe this was what you had to do kind of thing. Sure. I mean, like, someone in their party has already died, right? So, right. like, it's a, it, they're in a pretty dire straits. And, I mean, like, it's because of Ezra's doing, because Ezra's, like, insistent on them going and getting these Y-Wings when they were just supposed to be doing recon. So I think Ezra's also in this trying to get out of this, like, trying to dig himself out, basically, but right. he's only digging himself in deeper. I think this is kind of... Like, maybe why the Jedi are so, like, anti- feelings in the first place right because like Ezra is using the Sith holocaun he's able to open it which is mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe is is a spooky bad sign but I mean like it's just knowledge like he points out um, and he's trying to use it to protect his friends and I think that's where the like the like don't don't have friends kind of thing yeah. is, is coming from right because like Ezra is using this power that's available he's using all the knowledge that he can. I don't know. I at the end of the last episode, and even a little bit in this one, when like 
the Ventress holocron is talking to Ezra. This talk of, like, it reminds me kind of of the whole, like, forbidden fruit thing mm-hmm. from, like, Judeo-Christian tradition. Knowledge is inherently evil. And, like, that seems like someone who's trying to, someone <laughs> that wants to oppress you would say, right? Like, it's a little weird. Which I, I just wanted to say a quick thing there of mm. the knowledge is evil interpretation is 100% a Christian thing. is okay. in no way a Jewish interpretation of that story. Just that sounds right. Quick, quick aside there. <laughs> that makes sense. Thanks for the correction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, Matthew, what you said earlier about the dark side, and once you start down the path, forever will it dominate your destiny. That's just Jedi propaganda, Mm -hmm. right? Because in the Skywalker saga itself, we see Anakin become Darth Vader, get dominated by the dark side, and then return to the light side. So it is not not an absolute, right? As Obi-Wan would accuse (laughs) accuse them of. Which is itself an absolute, as Obi-Wan says, but yeah, yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think, like, also having the Bendu in this episode helps highlight the the grayness that I think you're alluding to as well. Like, I I agree that I don't think Ezra is becoming a Sith in any way, shape, or form, right? Like, he's maybe going on a bit of a power trip because he's just got this weird promotion. He's maybe not, he maybe needs somebody like Kanan to come back and show him how to use this new power instead of just being, like knowledge wrong and bad let mm-hmm. me confiscate this um right. and i think but, that's what the bendu's there for Go ahead. but we continue to see the escalation i feel of ezra's mm-hmm. dark sideness because mm-hmm. when they when they return from rescuing hondo and then go on the next mission they have to make a jump mm-hmm. to a point that is controlled by the mining guild they take out two tie fighters oh and then Ezra's like, no, we also have to blow up that freighter so that they don't alert the Empire. Leave no witnesses. Right. And yeah. to me... That's that's pretty dark. Yeah. That was really dark. And the other the other people on the mission are like, no, we don't have to do that. We can just leave now. Mm-hmm. For me, what he does with the walker is, a, is sort of a like... That to me is a war is hell moment. To me, the idea of being... And this is kind of the same... Uh, some of the same discussions we were having, uh, myself and Ricky and Paul for an episode on the Superhero Ethics Podcast when we were talking about Kenshin, I often struggle with the idea that there's an ethical way to to, to fight a war. You know, to mm-hmm. me, the whole idea of wars is unethical. Him being like, look, we have to do this dark thing, but we have to win, makes sense. It's it's the, the thing with the freighter, but then especially at the very end of these episodes, when they're on this kind of floating space platform and he's trapped with a couple... He's trapped with the Imperial commander who was like who used to be one of the admirals from season 1 who's now been demoted to this junkyard and i think the implication is supposed to be there's still a bunch of imperials on the station and Ezra's response is like look i'm just going to crash the station and when the imperial says but wait we're all going to die he says no i'll be fine you all i don't care about like that's what i was like okay you're you're this is like some some murder happening here by mr Ezra this is this is pretty intense very much a continued escalation of, yeah. of his darkness. And it's not always the same, right? Like the mind control, the leave no witnesses, and then the I don't care about you. Like they're kind of different manifestations of darkness and evil. But yeah. we see that. And overall in these in this episode arc, it's because Kanan's not there, right? Yeah. Because his, his mentor is not there, literally is blind and cannot see we get an amazing scene where kanan 
does confront him and kind of stumbles across the Sith holocron, right? right? By accident, really. And is like, oh, you've been using this thing? Like, no, that's no good. Yeah, but just yeah. him being like completely unaware of it as well yeah yeah up to up till that point was unaware that ezra was using the dark side yeah and as uh the the summary stated like this has been going on for six months because old school tv you know was like over the summer nothing happens like the tv show is off the air so Mm -hmm. when we get the new season it skips forward like Mm -hmm. this everybody's got haircuts that's how we know that time has passed so yeah brown titus we encountered with the interdictor in season one um, season which, two. Season two. Oh man, yeah. so good. Um, so, Titus is that he's that imperial officer who I didn't remember the name of. Who, yeah, who I had to look kind it up. Of, <laughs> full disclosure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So he like he's been demoted to the junkyard. Ezra comes in and like he's like, ah, oh, you you're here. This is how I'm gonna get my promotion. Ezra's basically like, no, get ready for another demotion. But then I think there is a moment where like he says it's time to evacuate. Like Ezra tells Titus to evacuate his people. So I don't think he's like whole hog, I'm going to murder all of you. I do think he doesn't care if they get off or not, but he does give them warning, I'm blowing up the station, you do you, boo, right? Right. That's that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, it's definitely not a, like, in the past, there would be, okay, even though you're my enemy, let's get you onto the ship as well, mm-hmm. you know? And there's none of that here. No, definitely not. And I, I don't think we see, like, any of those Imperial escape ships getting away. Yeah. We don't spend like a lot of time looking at them, though. <laughs> I mean, That's like I'm, I'm willing to believe that they're they're off somewhere. That Titus has been demoted even further. Uh huh. Like, That's certainly possible. That's possible. Yeah. Um. I think I also just love it, especially given the kind of stuff you were talking about about the Canaan dynamic. Because you think about it, this is such a great way of continuing what happened in the last episodes, the end of season two, where Ezra was placed in this position where Darth Maul was basically saying, like, Kanan can't be your mentor. I can teach you things he can't. And then Darth Maul defeats Kanan in combat for the most part, you know, and then Kanan kind of gets back at him somewhat. But like Kanan is is still blind because of somewhat, like at least in that moment, losing the fight or losing that part of the fight to Darth Maul. And so, yeah, I get that, like, there's this real brokenness right now in the relationship between Ezra and Kanan, both of Kanan not trusting himself, because that was always his concern, and Ezra not sure if he can trust Kanan, plus Kanan's kind of abandoned him. Like, it's just, there's just so much nuance and depth in that relationship that I really love. Mm-hmm. And the payoff at the end of this episode is so good in the way that they create that plot tension. So at the end of the episode, the station is falling into the atmosphere and Ezra is on it and has lost his means of escape. And then the phantom shows up with Hera piloting. And then Kanan says, I'll go get him and does like the Lando Calrissian, you know, thing at the end of empire where he opens a hatch and is, as the station is falling, Ezra can't reach Kanan. And oh gosh, what does Kanan say? He, he says, it's like, I've got you, I think. Yeah, he, just, go, he says, let, just let go. Right. I got you. This is the ultimate trust fall. If you ever did a trust fall at like summer camp, this is the like, you're going down toward the ground at a thousand miles an hour, force power. And I mean, like, both of them have magic powers, but still. But they don't, it doesn't, don't seem, force, it doesn't no. seem like they use the force. Ezra lets go and is kind of like free falling and... Kanan, because he's blind, his hand is in the wrong place. 
But the, but I think he I does think he use the, the force, force to, to like, sense, sense him. Ezra, not to like pull right. him towards. And then yeah, just all of a sudden reaches in, into the opposite direction and grabs him, and and it's just so powerful in that moment of that that is their relationship being repaired. Like yeah. them making that connection literally is them reconnecting as master and apprentice. Yeah. I think it's it's so well done. There's just so much about this. We're just at a point now where the writing and the way that the animation is living out that writing is just such high quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. There, yeah, there's so much in this episode. Like, we get justice for the spiders, which is, I think, really important. Uh, mm-hmm. Hondo. More Hondo. Please, please, Hondo. Um, and, like, that's just... Uh, yeah. Those are, like, two other things that we haven't even scraped the surface Bef- of. Before I- recording this... You know, she was very excited about Hanra. I was like, well, you get your boyfriend. I get mine in Thrawn. Yeah. So I like it. We, we can all geek out about our favorites. Polyamory and fandom. It's a thing. And to me, it was also kind of great because I have now convinced my partner, Mary, as we're getting excited for the Kenobi show, she's watching the Clone Wars with me. We're watching Abridged. We're skipping a lot of the filler episodes, uh, although she did like the Zillow Beast. We just watched that before I started recording. But we watched the first... I know, I know. I I think it's a good episode. But we watched the first time that Hondo Anaka shows up. And it made me realize that Hondo... And this happens a lot in TV shows, I think. Hondo is one of those characters where it took a little while for the writers to Mm -hmm. figure him out. You know? He starts out as like he's a little quirky and fun. But he's really also just kind of generic pirate man. And he like, you know, refers to the... Obi-Wan is like, you Jedi scum. And like, it's just like, this isn't the Hondo I know yet. And 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 so I got really excited. It's like, oh my God, Mary's going to see him. Mary's going to fall in love with Hondo. Nope. Actually, wait, nope. This isn't Hondo yet. And I, I was very glad I didn't do the like, oh my God, you're going to love this character so much. Yeah. Because yeah, I think it takes like three or four episodes <laughs> before Hondo really becomes Hondo. But now we're in Rebels, we are in peak Hondo. It is oh, just yeah. like... Every moment he's trying to like, oh, but but I could have a ship. I could have a ship. Remember, you could give me a ship. And just constantly changing the goalposts of what he was supposed to do for them. I I just love him so much. Yeah, I love his little like Ugnaught band of brothers that he ends up collecting. So mm-hmm. the, re- the reason Turba is there in the first place, like Hondo got his in- information from Turba about this junkyard that that's scrapping Y-Wings. Turba used to work there. He's in prison because he tried to escape. So there's a bunch of Ugnats that work there. And Hondo just like chats with them in like Ugnies. And then like they end up all kind of like going off with Hondo. There's like a beautiful Hondo moment where he tells Ezra like, I'm going to guard the shuttle so that, you know, if things get dicey, we can make a quick escape. (laughs) Which like he does. Things get dicey and Hondo and the, the Ugnats make a quick escape, right? And it reminds me of this like super old video game Riven. I don't know if either of you played. It was a I've PC heard of game it and never played in like it. the late I 90s. It. Yeah, where, okay, spoiler alert for a like 30-year-old video game here. But um, at the end, so the main dude tells you like, oh, please go find my wife. And then like, I'll, I'll, give, I'll make this bridge, but I can't leave it open. So when you find her... You have to signal me by destroying the world, but don't worry. I'll I'll come back and I'll take us to safety. So you okay. solve a bunch of puzzles, find the wife, start destroying the world to alert the, the husband to come back. And he shows up and like grabs his wife and he's like, yeah, I'm taking us back to safety. Peace. And like you're sent off into the void. Right. So I just love this like creative use of the word us here. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Ezra yeah. calls Hondo out. Like I thought you said you were waiting. 
He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I did. We're off now. Bye. (laughs) And going back to the Ezra's increasing darkness, when they first come across the band of Ugnaught mechanics Mm. on the station, Ezra is like, get out of my way. Mm -hmm. Or I think he might even say like, or I'll kill you or something like that. Something very violent. Mm -hmm. And then it takes Hondo to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And start talking in Ugnees, which is also weird. Because it's it's basically like pig snorts, except he's like quack, 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 Turba. And you would <laughs> yeah. think Turba would have a name in their native language. Yeah. But that's just an aside. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. I, I have to say also, and this was, it was a small moment, but like, so Turba runs ahead and you're like, oh, he's going to die. And this is one of those moments where it's like, I'm not sure yet if the episode is darkness and sithness where people actually die or if it's hondo and naka where everything is kind of comedic and so (laughs) right where turba is like a laser beam from one of the walkers hits the ground there's a big explosion and i'm like oh he's dead but then you see him like flying up into the air out of the explosion with that kind he's kind of like screaming in that way where it sounds, it, it's kind of like a comedic, like, oh, no, the explosion's going to make him, like, fly through the air and land in a funny way. But he just, no, he's not. He's just dead. No, he's dead. Uh, and I was like, that's, that was, you kind of didn't decide what you're doing to the last moment with that shot. <laughs> and, like, even Hondo has, like, a, a funny line about it because, like, uh, Turba is asking for a greater cut of the profits. And I think Hondo's like, no, we're, that's. That's not the deal. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get that cut. And then Turbo dies and Honda's like, well, now you're really not going to get the cut. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> it's kind of great. It's kind of great. Good. All right. I think that's about all I had for this episode. Is there any, any or for this uh, pair of episodes, any other last things you two wanted to bring up? Uh, oh. The are we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, <laughs> we're, we're not going to talk about the Bendu. Briefly alluded to it. But let's let's uh, talk about the Bendu. Uh, voiced by Tom Baker. who, who I've heard his voice before. I think he's a voice actor of some renown he's fantastic in this role yeah the bendu like a, a giant moose man thing he looks like something out of world of warcraft mm, totally uh, tom baker was the fourth doctor for you for you who are doctor who fans that's how a lot of people may, may recognize his voice i want to address you know what he is or who he is because we call we call this character the bendu and not mm-hmm. bendu as like his name and so i just want to read this quote when he first meets kanan and kanan's like talking about sith and jedi the bendu says jedi and sith wield the ashla and bogon the light and the dark i'm the one in the middle the bendu and it's very mysterious right and it just like fits his character of like what what the heck are you and I think weren't those terms the Ashla and the Bogon weren't those used in the uh, the mother the the father sister brother episodes of Clone Wars? Oh, maybe I know it was used by the the yeah the Ashla and Bogon were used by like the mysterious witchy Lasat woman and in that in that like warrior. That's where we know it from. Um, but yeah, like just uh, it seems like other names for the Force, which we've kind of known about and talked about with like the Night Sisters using something that is clearly the Force but not the Force. Right, and it's something that I really appreciate because you know, we've talked about this before. But the idea that like 
the Jedi have the monopoly on that side of the, the force and the Sith have the monopoly on their side of the force. And so we started to see with the, like the night sisters and Ventress in, in clone wars that you could have dark side users who weren't Sith. And we're starting to see kind of like with, with Ahsoka kind of doing her own thing, but not being a Jedi. And yeah, I think this is such an interesting character. It's a really interesting way of exploring this idea of like, maybe you don't have to be as, the absolute ideals of either the Jedi or the Sith, that there can be some some balance and some middle ground. Yeah, he he gives me like vague, like those giant turtles from Avatar vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just because, you know, he, I'm using like masculine pronouns for him because that's what Kanan does. Like he, he's just large. He's in the forest. He's, he kind of talks mysteriously about this ancient power that has been bestowed upon people. Mm-hmm. Which I think is maybe why I'm drawing the, the connection. Yeah, I think it's fair. Because I think especially because the turtles are... like I, I think that part of the idea of the Bendu is he's not coming to, to, to Kanan to say, Oh, you're fighting the Sith. This is terrible. It, it, he's like, eh, Jedi Sith, you're, you're going to have your little wars. I'm kind of beyond that. Yeah, like he summons Kanan because he's like, Your belly aching is giving me a headache. Like I can hear you being in conflict with yourself. You stop that right now. This used to be a peaceful place for me. You're out here moping about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he teaches Kanan how to reconnect with the Force and use the Force to, I guess, replace his sight. He can't see as he used to see, but he can use the Force to feel more around him, including the spiders, and actually connects with the spiders in a way that they are no longer aggressive towards him. And he begins to understand that the spiders are actually sensing his own fear. Yeah. And that's kind of projecting back on on him. And I think one reason why I like that scene so much, if you've heard me talk about another podcast, you know that kind of one of my, you know, issues with a lot of these kind of media is when a character becomes disabled in some way, but then magic or science or technology basically fixes their disability to the point where it doesn't really matter. You know, I loved Daredevil as a character. Most of the the folks who I know who are kind of advocates for blind people or blind themselves will be the first to say, like, he's not representation of a blind person, where Toph definitely is in a very mm-hmm. different kind of a way. I don't love that they basically have him back to almost fully sighted this quickly, although it is a really nice moment that he still isn't completely there and that his, like, not seeing uh, Ezra during that fall... But I thought at least if you're going to do that, this really was a way to earn it because it really was about not just like, oh, look, you basically can see again, but you can have this completely different way of perceiving the world. And so I was like, okay, clearly we're not going to have just a character just be like a disabled character. I would love it if we did, but we're not there yet. But if not, this is a fairly good way to deal with that. Yeah, there were there was like a few moments that kind of bugged me with like the Bendu basically telling Kanan, like, just try harder to not be blind, mm-hmm. which is, like, not the least dicky of moves. Um, but I do get that, like, we've got the sort of pre-established Kanan can use the Force out. It's not like, like you were t- saying, like, science or magic just magically takes his disability away. Right. Um, yeah, I think the the characters you bring up are very interesting because Daredevil just uses echolocation to effectively see, right? Like right. he can quote-unquote see objects in front of him via the echolocation. Toph 
can use earthbending to feel stuff that's on the ground, but can't see stuff like floating in the air or like if a character is holding up, how many fingers am I holding up? She right. can't she can't sense that with her earthbending. And then Kanan can't can use the force, but it also is going to have its limitations. Right. Yeah, it's a really nice way of doing it. And I'm, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, and I like that Kanan keeps his, like, Geordie-esque visor on as sort of mm-hmm. this, like, a reminder. Um, yeah. We've got, like, a visual reminder. All right, well, I realize there's also one quick thing I want to mention in a spoiler section, but I think is now a good time to kind of wrap up the, the main part of the episode. Any last things about the Bendu we want to say? So uh, there probably was more we could talk about Thrawn, but I think we can leave it because he's going to be a recurring character Mm -hmm. in this season. I do want to mention that at the end, they say that the Y-Wings are going to be sent to General Dodonna. That is the character who is in charge of Yavin base. So we get, again, that connection to the larger rebellion leading towards a new hope. Yeah. Cause, cause, and Y wings are part of that attack on the on the Death Star. In the These Hope. are the Y wings mm-hmm. that are part of that. Gold. This is Gold Squad. Gold. It becomes Gold Squadron. Yeah. So. Ah, ah, I also wanted to talk about Rex and his weird like Clone Wars PTSD. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> Rex has issues. Rex has so many issues. He still calls like any droid a clanker, and anytime he sees an even kind of aggressive droid, he like rushes in there to like mm-hmm. tear them limb from limb. Um, yeah well when they first get to the station there is a droid flying around that attacks the ship and then rex just like opens the back door and jumps out and fights it tries to fight it and almost like flies away into the atmosphere until i think zeb catches him so very reckless the show it's reckless um in in the show kind of like finding ways to build the relationship that goes against everything the fact that Rex spends time with Chopper in this episode, like the two of them have to work together and you're seeing them kind of building a connection. And and granted, back in the day, Rex would have known like astromech droids were on his side all the time. But still, just seeing him and Chopper together as you see him, his feelings about all other droids is pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, folks, there's so much more we could say. We're going to do a quick spoiler section at the very end. But for everybody, if you haven't seen the show before uh, and you haven't seen the rest of the show yet and you want to step out now, this is a good time. Like I said, check out manscaped.com. You get 20% off by using the promo code SWUP. And of course, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, there you'll find all the other podcasts I'm doing. Great stuff happening on superhero ethics. Uh, I've done some episodes recently of the amazing, the totally 80s movie podcast where I just recorded on, on one of my favorite AI movies, War Games. Great, great movie from the 80s with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. Check all that out. And of course, on theethicalpanda.com, you'll also find all the information about how to contact us. Would love your feedback. What do you think about where Ezra's going? Or do you think, yeah, he's just getting better at warfare. Everyone should get off his back. Do you think he's becoming a Sith and he should stop immediately? What do you think of the Bendu? What do you think of Thrawn? Let us know. Theethicalpanda.com. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, If you want to hear the spoilers, uh, stick around for a few minutes for everyone else. Thank you so much. And I'll give you a spoiler in three, two, one. When Callus makes that small point about the civilian deaths, now I could go, oh, look. He start he that's his doubts you know it mm. it's not, to me it wasn't just a comment on Thrawn I took it as this is Callus starting to realize 
just just how callous the empire is interesting yeah i guess i thought it was just him needling thrawn kind of like how Mm -hmm. can you consider this a success but yeah that makes sense he's like starting to doubt the empire as a as a unit yeah like because he's not fulcrum yet right we're still a ways to go before he's the new fulcrum well we don't know when he starts doing that okay exactly yeah i I, I think my interpretation is this is his, he is still having doubts, but this is one more. I, I interpreted it as this is one. This is one more thing. The, the fact that like the Empire calls him a hero, having done that, mm. is one more of his like maybe I'm on the wrong side here. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think he's already a spy. Neat. And it mirrors his own history with Lasat. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, very that much we so. saw him resolve with Zev that. You know that he he basically is like that wasn't how we wanted it to go. So I think him needling Thrawn on that same note of civilian casualties is yeah a self realization of like I did those things. Yeah, definitely. And it was wrong, and he's he doesn't say to his Thrawn's face that this is wrong, but definitely implies it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things I think I'm going to be the most interested in watching as we go back through it. Is I just want to see Callus's like. Because I remember thinking it came out of nowhere the first time I watched it, that Callus was Fulcrum. And now, even just watching in season two, I was like, okay, I start to see the hints. And now I think we're going to see a lot more of them. Interesting. I didn't think it came out of nowhere because I thought that episode in season two with him and Zeb. I mean, I guess I just started shipping them from that point. And I'm like, there is love. Obviously, That's fair. Callus has to come to the good side. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, it's... It, it isn't something that I've been watching for, but it, it will be something to watch for now on this, this second watch through. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, folks. This is great. To our fans who stuck around, let us know what you think. And to everybody, have a great day. No, write me Hondo Fabric. That's another thing. <laughs> <Or> email. <laughs> <laughs>